Hey, let's take our Bibles to Matthew chapter 19, and as you're doing so, I'll just mention this. Last week we shared the, the Time is Now vision for Meadowbrook and have gotten great uh, comments about that and looking forward to what God is going to begin helping us to pursue. Uh, if you want a copy of this, there's some available in the round room, or you can always go online to mbchurch.com and get that. But this is broken into three steps, the first of which we're moving on quickly. And we're asking the church to go ahead and hire the architectural team that has been selected by our building team. And uh, that black design architecture is going to begin working immediately with us to help us with our worship space and education and connectivity space. And looking forward to their beginning. Uh, that will come after August the 1st when we have a session that the church will affirm that decision. And then on the 19th of August, we're launching Kids Stuff excuse me, Kids Worship Live. That just rolls off my tongue. I've been saying kids stuff for so long for Wednesdays. But Kids Worship Live. And it's a live worship service for our kids that are fifth grade and below. That'll be going on during the time that we're having our full worship services. So families can choose between the two. They can have their children in our uh, theater up in the other building and have their own worship time with a Bible teacher and worship leader. That's going to be fantastic for them. Or they can be in here. So Kids Worship Live will begin on August the 19th. And when we have this building that will be built, uh, we will have a new time for our services. They'll be at 8 o'clock and 1045, and we'll have our life group in the middle at the 930 hour. But we're moving to that new schedule now. We'll move that to the August the 19th date. So we will have two services beginning August 19th. They're going to be tight, I know, but we're going to do that with thinking we can grow larger and stronger uh, with the connectivity that we'll have with one life group and the two services to move us towards that larger building that's coming uh, down the road. And then by the end of the year, we're asking the Lord to help us raise a million dollars plus in cash. And so that would position us well for the project that we believe God is calling us to. What we're hoping and have been praying about and believing that God is going to allow us to build the structure debt-free, that we'll have no debt whatsoever, so we'll walk into a paid-for building and we believe that that's going to bring glory to Jesus Christ. So there's more information about that in the pamphlet or online. There's more that you'll want to read about if you haven't done so already. We'll begin sending more and more information to you. Well, let's go to the 19th chapter of Matthew today. We're going to begin in verse 13 and work our way through verse 30. Verse 13 says, When the children were brought to him and he might lay hands on them and pray, the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. It's very customary in the day of Christ for people to bring their children to the rabbis in order that the rabbis might pray for them, lay hands on them, and bless them. And, of course, you know that Jesus was a famed, very popular rabbi that was an itinerant preacher going around through the regions of Galilee. And, and parents would seek him out as well in order that he might lay hands on them and pray for them and bless them. And here's one of those situations that's occurring. And when the disciples see this and in order to protect Jesus in his time, they sort of shoo the kids away and rebuke the parents for even wasting the master's time. Now, Obviously, you and I know the heart of Jesus better than they did at that moment because we have the full story, but they were far from the heart of Christ when they were trying to keep the kids from him. 
Jesus longed to have the presence of the kids. He longed to bless them. And he, he made movements towards them. In fact, if you want to know what the kingdom of God is like, and people who enter the kingdom of God, Jesus points out children. He doesn't point out preachers, and he doesn't point out adults. He says, it's kids. And you know why? Because kids come with just vulnerable trust. A group of children have nothing to offer. They don't have power by which they can position themselves. They don't have possessions by which they might move towards in gifts in order to have some favored position with Christ. They have nothing to offer, no authority. And yet they come to Christ with genuine trust. And Jesus says, hey, if you want to know how to get in the kingdom of God, it's that. You don't bank on your own sufficiency. You don't bank in your own position. You just come with trust. And Jesus lovingly receives them. Now, previously, he had told his disciples, when you receive one of these, such as these, you receive me. So it's a big deal that children is pointing, being pointed to by Jesus. It's a big deal, and he wants us to get that. So at Meadowbrook, we focus energy and resources towards children. And I would dare say we have a measure of ministry to adults that is equal to the ministry that is ongoing for children. And one might even argue that we ought to have a greater ministry emphasis towards children than that of adults. Because certainly Jesus' heart was given to children. So partly what excites me about Kids Worship Live is that we are moving more, more and more ministry towards children. We want to engage them in life where they are and on a level that they can understand. And we want them to have great worship. The worship leading that will happen in Kids Worship Live will be similar to the worship that we have here so there will be some songs that we will sing in here that they also will sing in Kids Worship Live so that mom and dad might be able to sing the songs together uh, as they're going home and talk about those things. A lot of the same scripture that we're using on Sunday mornings here, they will use as well so there can be a nurturing of that growth in God's Word. Now, when you partner Kids Worship Live with the life groups that happen already on Sunday morning, with the Wednesday night kids stuff that goes on regularly, you partner all that together. You've got great ministry to children. And Meadowbrook ought to, uh, we ought to move more towards that and we ought to take great um, encouragement from the Lord as he says the kids' ministry is absolutely vital to him. But it's not just about kids' ministry here. It's beyond this place. It's beyond our faith family that we ought to be engaged in ministry to our families and our parents and our children, but beyond the walls. Meadowbrook has been doing this for a long time. I'm grateful to serve as a pastor of a church who has four good news clubs in the local public schools. Uh, we started with one. That went really well. Kids coming to faith in Jesus Christ, being discipled in the Word of God as they were being taught. We added a second one, we added a third, now we're in four schools on Tuesday mornings and Tuesday afternoons when school is in session. If you want a ministry that connects with the heart of Jesus, you ought to be engaged in Good News Clubs. It's a, it's a fantastic way for you to excel in the way that Christ excelled in His ministry to children. But it's not just local kids either. It's beyond that. A couple of weeks ago we had a team return from Serbia among the Romas, and the, they were over there pouring into students uh, who are by and large outcasts from that, com from that 
particular area of the world. Uh, their culture is outcasts. So we go and we just make investment in those students who can, who can have great gospel impact in the region. We have a long-term relationship with a school over in northern Uganda called Bethel Covenant College, and we have hundreds of students there that we've just been pouring into, uh, sharing Bibles with them and going on a regular basis to invest in them as disciples of Christ. You know why? Because they're important to Christ. And they will have great impact in their villages when they go back and in the places where they live. Among five countries, students are in that school. So when they go back, they can have great gospel impact, even among those regions that are more predominantly Islamic in their faith. So you're making a difference. I just encourage you to keep on doing that and press even further towards that. Now what's interesting about Matthew 19 is you have Jesus welcoming children into his presence. And then you have this uh, rich young ruler who obviously has a lot going for him. He actually gets pushed away. So you have a group that no one would think Jesus would be interested in who's being received by him and a man that everybody thinks that Jesus would be interested in gets pushed away. And it's an interesting take that we find in the historical place of Matthew 19. So let's read further as we go into the text. A man came to Jesus saying to him, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? I just pause before I finish the rest of that text to say people are enamored with being good. And I'm not saying that we ought to be enamored with being bad, that's for sure. But we've got way too much emphasis on being good. In fact, if we were to poll people around Etowah County today and just say, hey, what do you think Christianity is all about? Most everybody would say, oh, it's about being good. It's about learning to live a good life. But I can tell you with all certainty from God's Word, that is not what Christianity is about. In fact, Christianity is about the opposite of that. Christianity is coming to an understanding that there is no one good. There's not a single one of us that's good. Certainly not good enough to get into the kingdom of heaven. And Christianity is coming to that conclusion that, God, I can't do this, but you can. You have sent your Redeemer who not only will redeem me out of sin, but will reconcile my life that has been lived in sin and justify me, doing away with my sin and crediting me with the righteousness of Jesus. That's Christianity of recognizing that we are not good and that Christ has made it so that we might have his goodness, actually his perfection, his righteousness, that we might have that of God in him. So let's make sure we're moving towards that understanding. If you and I are not careful, we will try to put on the world what you and I can't do ourselves. We'll talk about all the bad things that goes on in the world and how they ought to be living in a good way when what in the world do sinners do but sin, right? So if we have a difficult time walking in the righteousness of Christ and we have it imputed in us and we have the nature of Christ dwelling within us and we still are challenged in the spirit to not live out the way of the flesh, how much more is it for the world? So we ought to stop with this be good in the world business. That is not what we're about. What we are about is be transformed in the name of Jesus. Let Christ give you a new life and you can walk in the newness of life. That's what Christianity is about. And maybe we ought to uh, encourage each other in those truths. All right, moving on to verse 17. And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? 
There is only one who is good. If you, were, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. You know why that is? Because there's self-sufficiency with riches. And Jesus is saying that self-sufficiency has to be gone. It's very difficult when you have what you need. I, I know that I've mentioned this regularly, but Kay and I are working land, and we've planted the property with um, some seed that was very costly. And I've recognized I am totally dependent upon God. If He does not bring rain, that seed will not germinate if he doesn't bring the right mixture then it will not grow and it will not produce and i can tell you there is so much to be learned about that i've come close to understanding that with some friends of mine that have been in very desperate places where where they had nothing to rely on except god if they were going to eat that day it would be because god provided for them if their harvest did not come in, it would be a season without food. They were desperate on him. If they were sick, they called out to God in prayer because they did not have a hospital. They did not have a clinic by which they could get treatment. So I've related to people like that, and I've wondered what it would be like to have that kind of dependency on God. Listen, when you have resources like we have in the West... You have little dependency on God, and because of that, Jesus said, it is immensely difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, because you don't see the need. You don't, you don't have the issues, the dependency. And so, many people believe riches are a blessing. When you read the words of Jesus, that might not be true. And we ought to be very guarded about the possessions that we have. We are vastly wealthy in comparison to the world. Now, I'm not saying we all have to go and sell all that we have and give it to the poor. That might be the call for some people who are, who are idolatrous towards wealth and possessions. It was certainly the call for this man, but it's not necessarily the call for everyone. Uh, what verse did I leave on? 23, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What a hyperbole that is. We can envision that. Um, there's some, some discussion about what this word camel is uh, in, in the original language. There's just a, a small distinction between a camel and a rope that a fisherman might use. And you can get the visual either way. You're trying to get a rope through the eye of the needle. That ain't going to work. Neither will a camel fit through the eye of the needle. It's meant to be an, a huge exaggeration for this point. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. How difficult it is without God moving in the hearts of people who are rich or poor. Verse 25, and the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? 
But Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but praise God, with God all things are possible. Listen, when you, if you knew what was going on in my life throughout my years, you would say, no way could that guy ever be saved. Well, bless God, what, what is impossible for me in salvation, God makes possible by Jesus Christ. And it's the same for you. I, I was out and about with some people, and there was some dialogue about one individual who just believed that they had, had too much sin to be in a relationship with God that God would never allow them to be in relationship with them. He would never forgive them of the sin. I want you to hear, with God, all things are possible. There is not a single life that has grown distant from God to the point that God can't rescue and redeem that life. No matter how dark, no matter how sinful, that's the God we serve. There is nothing greater than Him. Well, let me just walk you through a few points, and the first is this. This text helps me to recognize that we don't need to build a spiritual resume. We just need to come to the conclusion that we need a redeemer. So much of my time growing up in my teen years and early adult life, I thought it was about building a resume. I thought Christianity was about doing better and stopping this, that, and the other and do this and wonder the whole time if it was enough. That kind of works-based religion is very stressful, isn't it? It's, it's not joyful at all. You're, you're constantly striving and always thinking that it's not quite enough. All right, let me just release us of this to say, if you're building a spiritual resume, stop. Your position with God is fully banked on the sufficiency of Christ and His resume. That's the joy of the gospel, that, that God is is making it so that we might have all that is of Christ. So here's a guy that seems to have it all together. He's religious, he's studied, he's wealthy, he's accomplished, he's a leader. Everybody would think he's the, the who's who among the world. But yet he is far from God. He ends his conversation with the Son of God walking away, sorrowful, because he recognizes that he's unwilling to give what would be required to be in re- relationship with God. I would tell you that he is on the wrong pathway from the beginning. He's never going to enter the kingdom of God while he's on this pathway. The pathway of self-sufficiency, of self-righteousness, it's a dead-end street. The pathway to salvation is always paved with humility. It's always paved with truth. It's always paved with repentance. And this guy wasn't on that. He was on a whole nother pathway. He was in another direction. The more he tried to do, the further he got away from Christ, the further he got away from genuine salvation. So it's essential for us to understand that if we're going to be in relationship with God, it will be through Christ and Christ alone, not by our works. Now, in our culture, we live in a very merit-based world, don't we? I mean, we tell our kids when they're growing up, hey, if you work hard and you apply yourself, you can excel be it in ball or in dance or uh, whatever it is that kids are desiring to do, if they work hard, discipline, and, and be dedicated, that they could be the best in their field. And we, we give accomplishments based on that. Even employees, we tell employees that if, if you'll be diligent and you'll work and you'll invest your way into this, you, you'll be elevated. We'll give you promotions. We'll give you raises. To the one who's in school, we say, study hard. And if you apply yourself in difficult studies and you do well, then you can be among the honored. In fact, you can have your choice among the schools that you want to get into. That's the culture. 
But I can tell you, although that sounds good, that is not the way to enter the kingdom of heaven. You will never earn your way into the kingdom of heaven. It's a gift. It's a gift given to people who come to faith to God in Christ Jesus and yield themselves to him. God says, I'll invite you in and I'll bring you in myself. Come, I'll be the doorway by which you enter. So this man really had a difficult time with that. He had a difficult time because he thought it was about himself, about earning and achieving. So he's going through all these studies and he's trying to learn the commands and apply the commands to his life and train other people to do the same thing. And he's thinking, if, if I just had a little bit more, he's recognizing he's a little bit shy of whatever it takes. So he goes to Jesus and he's saying, hey, what else do I need to do? Hey, by the way, Every false religion in the world of all time begins with that. What must I do to enter into heaven? Christianity is as far from that as you can get. It's not about what you can do. It's about what Christ has already accomplished and he willfully gives to you. When you move towards him in faith, he lavishes it on you. And he gives you a new nature so that you might walk differently in life, empowered to do so. But this man was not there. He thought it was all about himself. And his, his self-sufficiency is about to be exposed to the point that he will recognize he does not have whatever it takes to get into the kingdom of heaven. So no matter someone's spiritual level of achievement, the accomplishment always falls short of what God expects. You might say, well, what does God expect? I tell you, he expects beyond goodness. Because this man is, is saying something about good. It's beyond that. You know what God expects of his creation? He expects perfection. He expects absolute sinlessness. Sinlessness in word, in thought, in deed. Now, if you're saying, hey, I can't do that. I've already messed that up. Don't be disheartened. Because Jesus didn't say this to us in order to dishearten us. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus is helping us to come to a reality of being an end to ourselves. In this thought of we're going to achieve God's good grace. In the thought that you're going to work your way into heaven. Just in that. Let it die. And then come to faith in Christ. Who will not only take away your sinfulness, but will give to you His perfect righteousness credit it to you and declare you before God the Father to be right so that you might be in his place it's an amazing it's an amazing thing so every false religion goes in that direction about thinking it's about works now listen and heed this warning self-sufficiency is a death sentence that excludes people from living in the kingdom of heaven it's just not possible Martin Luther stated it this way, the real evil is that we trust in our own power to be righteous and not and will not lift up our eyes to see what Christ has done for us. Now, this is amazing. It is your goodness more than your badness that separates you from God. What a profound and simple point that Luther is making. All right, so salvation is the work of God in the lives of people who humble themselves with repentance and believe in Jesus. That's a sentence form of what salvation is. You ought to circle that and make sure that your heart is given to that and the people around you are as well. So when children come to Jesus, they do so in humility because they have nothing else to offer. 
They haven't lived a life in which they can have accomplishments that they think might gain credit from God. So they just come simply and trust to Him. So whereas these children come simply and trustful to Jesus, led by their parents to do so, here's a man who believes self-sufficient. He has a very difficult time. He struggles with the words of Christ and he walks away with his sorrow in his heart. The kingdom of God was close to him, but he chose not to enter in the way that must be entered. The man had riches and he had power. And that tends to generate pride. And when you generate pride, it slams the gates of the kingdom of God every time because God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. This is the way we enter the kingdom of God. So he's certainly blinded. The enemy blinds people to their sin. And he builds up their pride and their arrogance, thinking that they're good in order that they might have eternal life. But it never works. It's the wrong road. Max Licato, in his book, The Applause of Heaven, wrote, you don't impress the officials of NASA with your paper airplanes. And you don't boast of your crayon sketches in the presence of Picasso. And you don't claim equality with Einstein because you can write H2O. And you don't boast about your goodness in the presence of the perfect. I think he's right on track there. Who am I to claim anything that's good when I have perfection in Jesus Christ? So one of the chief strategies is to blind people from their sin and to develop in them an inward bent towards self-deceit, causing people not to identify their sin. And when they don't identify their sin, then they don't identify the need for redemption. Self-righteousness that comes from someone's works causes a greater blindness and self-deceit because people disregard a need for a Savior. Such people never sorrow over their sin. And when they don't sorrow over their sin, they don't humble themselves. And if they don't humble themselves, they don't repent. And if they don't repent, they don't enter into salvation. See how dark it is? What you think might be good can actually be incredibly bad. So the rich young man's belief and attitude might be akin to a number of people to think, well, people are generally good. No, my friends, they're not. You might have what's a good old boy as a neighbor, but I can tell you he's not good in comparison to the perfect Jesus. He's not good in comparison to what God requires of the law. You can't trust yourself. You must trust God alone. This is why repentance is so important. A turning away from sin and self and turning to God. So we must all understand that truth. Now, Jesus knows the heart of the man. And he recognizes in the heart of the man is not just a lacking of goodness, but in the heart of this man is idolatry. And so he tells him, go back home, sell all that you have, and give it to the poor. Now, if you're thinking God's requiring that of everybody, he's not. He only requires of the people who have the idol of possession and wealth. Yours might be different. Yours might be some form of perversion or lust or desire of the flesh that God's calling you out of, but yet you still cling to that. It might be the arrogance or pride that you tried to build up over the years, and God says he wants you to humble yourself before him, and you're having to release that. For this guy, it was his riches. And Jesus said, I want you to, before you enter the kingdom of heaven, I want you to drop the idol. It's not like you can open the door through Jesus while you have an idol in your hand. You're going to have to get rid of that. So go get rid of that. Can I ask you what it is if Jesus was standing before you right now 
And he would say, I want you to have the fullness of the kingdom of God, but go get rid of this first. What is that? What is that in your life or my life that we've been clinging to that has kept us from the fullness of the kingdom of heaven? So for this man, it's all of his possessions. Now you might say, oh, Randy, that's, that's a big cost to pay. This guy's going to have to sell out and give it all away in order to follow Jesus? Let me just remind you the value of the kingdom of God. The value of the kingdom of God is enormous. I mean, think about the value of transcendent joy. Think about the value of being exonerated from a just condemnation of sin. Think about the value of having the presence of God with you perpetually. Think about knowing and having genuine love from God. Think about experiencing the prevailing peace of God. When you think about what is afforded to us in the kingdom of heaven, there is not a wealth on earth that could be combined together that would come anywhere near the value of that. So when you come to the understanding, it's okay, God, whatever it is that you want me to release in this temporary world in order to have the treasure of eternity and life in your kingdom, the answer is yes. I'm not going to hold back any of that. So may the Spirit of God help us in that. May we come to faith in Jesus Christ, be given to Him, be redeemed by Him. Let His Spirit come and dwell us and His righteousness be given to us as a great gift. And removing things that might impede us as we are walking and journeying in faith. Now look at this next point. Possessing the kingdom of God far exceeds anything offered in the kingdom of the world. So Peter, when he's hearing and seeing all this, says, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them. Truly, I say to you, in the new world. Hey, this morning I was reading through this text just to have it go back over in my mind. Just I'd already done all the study and the prep, but just read back through it several times. And this phrase, in the new world, just stood out to me. Last night, I convinced Kay to go outside. It was late in the afternoon, early evening hours, and we spent about three hours or so outside. Now, that takes some convincing because my wife is like an attractant to bugs. <laughs> if there's a mosquito or no see them out there, they say, oh, Kay's here, come on, and they all attack at one time. So it takes a lot of convincing for her to go out there with me. But last night, she was willing to do that. And so we're watching just all that's happening around us. It's beautiful. Big clouds rolling in and rolling up. It was amazing. Then clouds turned to great thunderstorms in a far distant place, as far away as Heflin, and we were seeing this. It was beautiful. Kay said, hey, Randy, look over to the left, and looked over, and it was just like Christmas tree lights because the lightning bugs were lighting up all through the woods. I mean, hundreds of them. It was an amazing night for that. Then the beauty of the moon, even though it was only half full, it was absolutely glorious. And in that moment, we stopped, and we just gave credit to God for the display that brings him glory. What a moment that was. But in the new world, it will be amazingly greater. In the new world, it will be a world that is untouched by sin. It will never be touched by Satan. Never be smudged at all. It will always be gloriously bright and beautiful. And the discovery that we have without the impedance of time and space, the discovery we have without fear, 
nothing to go wrong. The glory of that to be discovered in the new world will be fantastic. If you've got it in your mind that the new world, the new heaven is going to be you on a cloud somewhere playing a harp, man, do you ever have it wrong. You need to stop watching Looney Tunes and get into the Word of God, right? Because really the new world and the new heaven is absolutely glorious and it's all about the adventure and discovery of God's goodness and greatness. And it will go on and on and on throughout the galaxies. An amazing, an amazing time. So when I catch little phrases like that in the new world, it takes my mind in a great direction towards God. Jesus says to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. In other words, to this guy who believes himself to be first, he will be last. And to those who believe themselves to be last to get to the kingdom of God, in their humility, God will raise them up to be first. What a beautiful text. The statement is obviously for Peter and the disciples of Christ and us who are followers of Christ to help us to stay focused on what the eternal reward will be. He's saying, don't be enamored with all that stuff. If you lose and you give, God will make it a hundredfold back to you for all eternity. Stay focused there, Peter. Because if you don't stay focused on that reward, then you might lose the connection that I really want you to have to this life is meant to be lived, to the glory of God, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. Not to be a hoarder. Not to be one that holds back worship. But to love and to live life in an expression of, of love to God and to others. If you're not longing for heaven and the riches of heaven, it's because you're still clinging to the temporary riches of this world. And Jesus would say, put your focus back where it ought to be on an eternal treasure. If you've got your focus on an eternal treasure, then you'll live open-handedly. Your heart will be inclined to me and my will and my way. Live with the eternal perspective. Peter was beginning to understand the reality of that. And there have been many who followed him who have also understood the reality. C.S. Lewis calls us to that in his writings. is very direct. He says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And the Lord is calling out to us like Lewis was calling out. Don't be pleased with the world. Be pleased with the eternal things of God. Let your treasure be there. And if your treasure is there, it will be given in your heart as well. God calls for us to love. Love Him. Love others. And let that be demonstrated regularly. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? I'll just mentioned before I pray that there are some of you who God is calling to humble yourself before Him. 
to repent, turn away from your life, sin, and trying to be good, and come to Him, place your faith in Him through Jesus so that you might be saved. Father, I pray that if you have brought some to this room or who would listen to my voice on the radio or podcast or live stream, that this would be the moment of eternity for them when they get it, that life is not about living good to please you because we all fall desperately short of your glory. Life is meant to be the discovery of the Redeemer, Christ. And as we discover Him and His righteousness, His perfection with you, may we give ourselves to Him who alone can remove the sin from our lives and give us His righteousness. May the rest of our days be lived for Him, knowing that an eternal reward is going to be ours. Maybe you're in this room and God has brought you to this place because you have been loving the world and the things of the world, and God is saying, release that. It stands in your way of having and discovering the fullness of my kingdom. Release that. And the power of Christ, be released from that. And we pray, Father, that as you're doing that kind of work, that people would have a great sense of joy and what is offered to them in Christ. And they would be fully satisfied in his sufficiency alone and walk in the treasure of that relationship. From this point forward, I pray in the name of Jesus.